At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. All right, this morning we get an opportunity to spend some time in God's Word. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning we're going to begin looking in verse 8 together and we're going to finish out the the chapter together. But while you're turning there, I have a a question for you. I have a, a phrase. Have you ever heard of the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Okay, yep, you guys are, are with me there. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses is, a, is a, a phrase that's often used, but it's actually a phrase that calls out the practice of gauging our success or failure based on comparing ourselves to our neighbor. Keeping up with the Joneses is a never-ending process of being driven to have more and to be better than your neighbor. And in all honesty, if we find ourselves trying to keep up with the Joneses, we realize that this is an exhausting and life-draining practice. People can easily become consumed with greed and materialism. And if left unchecked, it can lead us to a place of despair. You see, at the heart of keeping up with the Joneses is a deep sin. And I call it the sin of comparison. The sin of comparison, which can wreck so many lives, especially when we use other people or other things as the measuring stick of our happiness. If we do this, if we find ourselves falling in the sin of comparison, the truth is you will never be happy. You will never be whole. Instead, you'll be filled with all kinds of pain. And this morning we can, we can be real with each other and, and just come to the understanding and even maybe confession that we're all guilty of the sin of comparison. Right? It doesn't matter who you are. You may be free from it now, but in our, the, our lives or even my, now you may be struggling with the sin of comparison. And that may, may be motivating you in everything that you do in life. Like you may be a man and, and in your mind you have this vision of what success looks like. And you have this other guy that you know that is very, very successful, that he has the the perfect family, he has the perfect house, he has the perfect office, he's making the perfect amount of money, and you're living your life trying to attain that. That you're working really, really hard so that you can get a bigger house, a nicer car, and you probably don't even realize in the process of your pursuit, you're leaving and forgetting your family. Or, Or maybe you're a woman And your deep down desire is for your children to be be successful. And yet you look around and you see other women, you see other moms that are doing it way better than you. You see kids that are talking before your kids are talking and walking before your kids are walking and see them going off to college, the good college that your kid's not going to. Some of you are, are... Jealous because your kids are, other people have their kids moving out and yours are still living with you. Some of you caught that. Right, and there's this real thing that's going on, especially in moms right now. It's called mom guilt. 
That moms carry the weight of this guilt because they feel like they're not good enough, that they don't do enough, that they're not smart enough, that their kids aren't successful enough, and they carry all of this guilt with them. It all comes from the sin of comparison. Or maybe you're a young person and you live your life completely immersed in social media And while you're inside of social media, you see people with perfectly filtered lives and perfectly filtered bodies. And when you pull away from those social media, you begin to look at your unfiltered life. And you think you don't measure up. You think that you're not good enough. And then you begin to experience this deep shame And it causes you not not to reach out for help, but it causes you to isolate yourself more into yourself and more into your mind. And you begin to believe lies about yourself that you're not good enough, that you're not beautiful enough, and that you're not precious. Or maybe you're a single person here and you find yourself being filled with anger or maybe even a feeling of despair every time you see one of your friends get married. Church, this morning I realized that shame, guilt, and greed are very powerful motivators. Those are very powerful motivators. And many of us, if we are honest with ourselves, are being deeply motivated by one of those today. That the pursuits of our lives, we're doing things because we're doing it out of greed, we're doing it out of guilt, we're doing it out of shame. And I want you to understand, I want you to see that those are not feelings, those are not emotions that God uses to motivate us. God doesn't motivate you through shame, guilt, or greed. God motivates us through his grace. And that's what I want us to see today as we've been walking through this beautiful passage that Paul has written to the Corinthian church. He's wanting to talk to them about where their motivation comes from. And as we've been talking about this overflow, we've been looking at the fact that God's grace has been lavishly poured out into our hearts, into our lives, so that as it wells up inside of us and fills us, it begins to overflow into other people's lives. It overflows into us being able to be generous into others' lives. Today, as we're going to conclude this series, what I want us to see is that God gives so that we can give. You're going to see a beautiful thing as this passage unfolds today of God's picture of generosity and God's picture of grace and how that moves us not into isolation. When we truly understand the grace of God moving into our lives, what it does is it doesn't just stay with us and give us contentment and give us peace and give us a, 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 an understanding of just being whole. But what it does is it overflows out of us. It actually brings us together. It brings us together in a beautiful picture of community. It extends our spiritual family and it increases the praise of God, which is what we're going to see. So today as we look at this passage, I want us to see two truths that will help us grow in the area of generosity. The first truth is found in verse eight. Look with me uh, as we read it together. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What Paul is saying here is, and he's encouraging us, if we hope to live lives of generosity, lives that are moving towards the right motivations, what we need to understand is that we need to trust God's all-sufficiency. Trust God's all-sufficiency. Let me go back and remind you of the situation that, that Paul is writing to. There were Christians in Jerusalem that had left Judaism and, be, and placed faith in, in Christ and now living in the community of the church. And the, as such, what has happened is they were completely disowned by their families. They're, they left their Jewish heritage behind them and because of that, many of them were homeless, many of them were jobless, many of them were familyless, and many of them were living in poverty and desperate need. And Paul sees the desperate situation of his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and he sends a call out to the churches in the surrounding area and says, would you give to help offset their need? And so as the word's going out, the word actually gets to the city of Corinth, the people of Corinth. And they hear of of their brothers and sisters' needs in Jerusalem and immediately they're very eager and they want to help. They want to dig in and they say, we want to be a part of this. But now Paul is writing this letter almost a year and a half later And they have yet to follow through with their gifts of giving and generosity. And so Paul is writing to them now. And it's interesting that Paul is writing to them now. And to motivate them, he never uses shame. He never guilts them into uh, giving. Especially in the time, in the culture, the Corinthian culture of the time, there were two main motivators that everyone lived by. So every Corinthian, part of their culture, they were motivated by two things. One was honor, right? Everything that they would do would be due to maintain or increase their honor. Their name was important to them. Their, so they wanted to make sure that um, they, their name was a place of, of honor and that their reputation was always being built up and that everyone knew that they were an honorable person. The second powerful motivator in the Corinthian life was shame. Right? Shame was a huge thing. If you didn't live up to, if you lived a shameful life, that would dishonor you. And so people would try to avoid shame as much as possible. And it's interesting that Paul never motivates them through honor or shame. Instead, what we see here is he motivates them through the character of God. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. In this passage, you, you got to see the word all. How many times is it there? It's numerous times, right? And that word for all is translated from the Greek word that literally means all, like every, the, the whole totality of everything. And so Paul is, is using this word, God is able to make all grace abound to you. The God that we serve is not a God of scarcity, but he's a God of abundance, And God has the unlimited ability to bestow grace on every believer. But not only is he able to do it, God promises that all believers will have all they need in all the things that they need at all times. Do you see that? God promises you, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, that you will have all that you need at all times and in all things. This is a bold promise that the God of the universe makes to you and makes to me. 
Believer, hear the word of the Lord today. God has given you everything that you need. And everything that you have is good and everything that you have is enough. You don't need a new job to be happy. You don't need a different spouse to be happy. You don't need a new roommate to be happy. You don't need new kids to be happy. Everything that God has given you is enough. And it's good. And actually, God has given you an overabundance of what you actually need. God wants to be the only source of sufficiency. This is what he's saying. I have enough. I want to be your all in all. I'm all that you need. You don't need all these other things because you can pursue all of those other things and all they're ever going to do is produce more guilt, more shame, more greed. But instead, if we pursue God in his sufficiency, we have all that we need. Now, it doesn't mean that God is going to give us all that we want. Right? Sometimes God does. Sometimes by his grace, as he overflows us uh, with his love and, and the things that we need. But God does sometimes grants us with extra measure of grace. He sometimes gives us our desires, but he promises to give us our needs. We have all that we need so that we may abound in every good work. Do you see what Paul is talking about there? Paul, Paul uses this idea of righteousness, and, and righteousness is a word that can have different connotations with it. Right, like, so God is righteous. That means he is holy, he is pure, he is the standard to which everyone lives. And so it's like this inner understanding of righteousness. But what he's saying is this righteousness has been poured out into us through Jesus, right, so that we become the righteousness of God. Then when we have this righteousness, when we have right standing with God, then we can go and live out acts of righteousness, Good things. We can, God saves us, gives us his grace so that we may go do good works. And so this works are works of righteousness. Now, sometimes people get this a little mixed up and they feel like they have to do good works in order to get righteousness so they can be right with God. You see, that's going backwards, right? And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is the righteousness of God has been given to us through what Jesus has done. And now that we have this righteousness, we can go do acts of righteousness. So God has given us everything so that we may do every good work. We, are, we have all that we need so that we can be free from worry. We can be free from greed. We can be free from guilt. And we can be free from shame. You see, the sin of comparison causes us to doubt that God is good and what God has given us is enough. And when we fall into that sin of comparison, it hinders us from doing the good that we, we want to do, or that God wants us to do. And in essence, when we, when we stop the goodness of God in our lives and, and we look at what he, other people are doing and compare ourselves to other people, what it does is it causes us to seek control. Right? When we think God is not trustworthy, when we think that, that um, he's not given us things that are good enough, then we want to step in and we want to control the situations. I was, had a conversation this week with one of our longtime saints of our church. And as we were talking, she was sharing with me about the difficulty as uh, she, her, her kids are growing up and, 
and the difficulty as she watches her grown daughter make some bad decisions. And she, she was confessing and, and, and just saying, you know, that in those, those times, she understands that, like, God is sufficient enough for her. Right? God, God is sufficient enough for her, but sometimes she doubts that God is sufficient enough for her daughter. You guys follow me? And so what she has a tendency to do is many times she wants to step in and she wants to fix and she wants to control the situation so that her daughter can be free from pain. Her daughter's an adult, right? And so she struggles with this. And, and so many times, and, and parents, we can be guilty of this too, that we want to step in and we want to control and we want to fix things. We want to keep our kids from all kinds of pain. And we, if we are not careful, will run the risk of being God in our kids' lives. That's dangerous. Your kids don't need you. They need God. Anyways, that's a side. Anyways, so we get into this, this conversation, and she was sharing with me about uh, just this challenge. And sometimes as she watches her kids and, and she grieves the decisions and she's tempted to step in, numerous times she hears the voice of God say this. And you may want to write this down because this is golden. She hears the voice of God say, I can't work on her if you keep interfering. You following me? God says, I can't work on her if you keep interfering. If you, if you see getting in the way and trying to control the situation and fix this and fix that, then we leave God no space to step in and do what God wants to do. Because at the end of the day, don't we want our kids to love God? Isn't that the most important thing? Because our bodies are going to fail. We're going to mess up. But God never will. When we trust in God's all-sufficiency, it frees us up to be agents that God uses to bless others. This is why in, in verse 9, Paul quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. See, it's God is the one who gives to the poor even if it is through our hands. In essence, of all things of righteousness, all good things, God is the cause of all good things. And the effects is that the poor freely receive. So God gives out of who he is. And in verse 10, we see that it is God that gives the seed. The Corinthians are the ones that sow what they were given. God gives the bread. So the Corinthians are able to share the bread with others. God supplies more than enough so that his righteousness would be extended through us. Now, it is great and exciting. And through this series, you've heard several stories that I've shared or uh, even testimonies of others, how they've shared about how the righteousness of God moving into someone's life has moved them to do good things. And it's exciting to be on that end. It's exciting to be on the giving end of God's righteousness. But God also calls us at different times to be the receivers of God's righteousness. There was one time in my life, well, I've been blessed by the Lord in so many ways, but there was a time in my life back in college that uh, I was praying about what God wanted me to do for my summers because I had I promised to give every one of my summers while I was in college to the Lord to do whatever he wanted. And uh, as I was getting ready to get into the summer, I learned of an opportunity to be a part of Athletes in Action, which is a missionary team that goes and uses sports as a platform to share the gospel. 
And so I was immediately excited about that because I was a runner in, in high school and college, and I wanted to use that gift to glorify the Lord. So I began praying about that, and the opportunity came about that I was accepted and I was able to be on the Athletes in Action team that was going to spend the summer uh, traveling through Europe doing different track meets. And I was super excited about that, but there came a challenge with that. I had to raise like $5,000 for the trip. And I was a poor college student. And I looked at my bank account and there was no money in there that could provide for this trip. And so I was, I was placed in a place of where I had to trust the Lord. And so I began praying, God, please provide this money. God, please allow me, to, if this is part of your will, then allow me to, to raise the money. And so I began sending out uh, letters for sponsors and people to join me in prayer, but also to join me financially. And money started coming in. People started giving gifts. And it came closer and closer to the time for us to go. And it was Sunday. Uh, we were leaving on Thursday, and it was Sunday. And I, was, I woke up that morning, and I was, like, utterly depressed. My faith was kind of shaken because I'm like, God, there's like four days left and I'm still $1,000 short. What are you gonna do? Like, can I really trust you? Like, is this really what you want me to do? Is this really how you want me to spend my summer? Or have I just totally like missed the mark? And so I went to church and I'm contemplating all this stuff as we're worshiping and listening to the sermon preached. I don't even know what the sermon was about that day. But there was a man in our church that came up to me after church and he said, hey, the day before you go, just let me know how much you're short. And that was it. That was it. He's like, just let me know the day before you go how much you're short. He didn't give any promises. He didn't say he was gonna help at all. He just said, let me know how short you are. And so Monday comes around, no money. Tuesday comes around, no gifts come in. Thursday, or Wednesday comes around, no gifts. Thursday, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ah, the plane is leaving or I'm sorry, Wednesday morning, I wake up, and I'm like, the plane is leaving tomorrow, and I don't have the money, I don't, know, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then I was reminded of the words of this man, call me, let you know. So later on, around, uh, right before dinner, I give him a call, and I'm like, hey, you asked me to get in touch with you and let you know when I was short, or how much I was short. He's like, yeah, I did, come on over, just come over to my house. And so I go over to his house, I don't, I don't know like what he's gonna say, what he's gonna do, but in my mind, I began to worry for him because I'm like, I can't ask him for $1,000. I don't even know if this guy's got $1,000. I know he's got six kids and I know he's working really, really hard. He works like overtime all the time just to provide for his family. I, I can't ask this guy for this money. Like there's no way I can ask him for this money. And so we get into the house and, and we sit down on the couch and he's like, so how much are your shorts? And sheepishly, I say it, $1,000. And he says, hold on a minute. So he, he disappears, goes upstairs or someplace else in the house. And I'm, I'm in that moment, like, worried for him. I'm like, he can't, there's no way, there's just, there's just no way. There's no way, I, I can't do this. He comes back, sits down, hands me $1,000 in cash. And I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed on many reasons. One, I was like, I can't accept it. Like, I can't take this gift from him because it's gonna take from what he needs for his family. And he could tell that this was hard for me. I, I, I probably was tearing up. And he looked at me and he said, God told me to give this to you. Don't take my joy away and know that the Lord will provide for my family as God is providing now for you through me. And I had an overwhelming sense of peace. 
You see, when we trust in God's all-sufficiency, when we truly trust, it frees us up to be generous in all areas of our lives. Right? When we, when we know that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do, it gives us freedom that we don't have to feel guilt and shame and worry and all of those things because none of those come from God. But grace and acceptance and love come from God. And just as powerful as shame, guilt, and greed motivate us, we need to be reminded they don't come from God, but it's God's grace that motivates us to give. It's because of his riches that have been poured out on us through Christ that we can give. I, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that Paul writes a couple chapters before this. This is what Paul writes there. He says, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There was an amazing exchange that took place on the cross that many of us miss the gravity of it. Right? We, we know it in our head. We know that Jesus came to live a perfect life and Jesus went to die on a cross to pay for our sins and went to a grave and then was raised again and his sacrifice was found to be enough. We, we understand that, but sometimes the reality of that, we don't allow it to be absorbed into our hearts and into our lives and the truth of Jesus' sacrifice stays on a paper. But when we really need him, we need him to be in our lives. And the truth of this passage is there was a great exchange that took place on the cross. Jesus took our shame and gave us honor. Do you believe that? Jesus took our shame and he gave us honor. He took our poverty and made us rich. He took our guilt and gave us grace. He took our, all of our unrighteousness of our old selves and gave us a new righteousness and a new self. Through Jesus, all of God's grace has been abound to us and we have all that we need at all times in Christ. You have all that you need at all times in Christ. So we grow generously by trusting in God's all-sufficiency. We also grow in generosity by the second truth that I want us to see, that we are to pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Not only trust that God is all-sufficient, but we pursue the deeper uh, fruit of giving. Look at me in verse nine. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it also overflowing into the many thanksgivings of God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and, of the, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, Paul says a lot of words there, and it can sometimes be difficult to follow uh, Paul's train of thought, but basically what Paul is saying here, to sum it all up, is when we do acts of righteousness by passing on the abundance that God has given us, it produces praise and thanksgiving to God. 
So when we take what God has given us and it wells up inside of us and we move it on to help others in generosity, what that does is it increases the praise in the recipients of the gift of our generosity. You see, the Corinthian gift, the, the gift that, that Paul was encouraging the church to give was more than just material giving. Yeah, it was gonna supply their food, it was gonna supply their needs, but in essence, it was gonna do something even greater. It was gonna do something spiritual. It was going to increase the praise of God's people. Giving out of the material overflowed and produced spiritual overflow. And this is how it works. You see, you've got these, these believers that are in Jerusalem and they've come to faith in, in God and they're asking questions, can we really trust him? Can we really, tr we've just left all of our old life behind, can we really trust this God? And what does God do? God has the ability. He can, he can bring manna from heaven. He can like have a pot of gold show up. But that's not how he operates. How does God operate? God operates through his people. And so the Corinthians were giving this gift. And as they give this gift, the people that received it in Jerusalem were like, I can trust God. I can trust God. God, thank you for blessing me. It was increasing the praise and the glory of God was being increased and the joy of the church was being connected because this church that was way over here, that's separated by sea, separated by a continent, separated by space, was now being connected to the church in Jerusalem and the relationship was connected Everything in the world wants to move you to isolation and insulation and all that. But when you work for the Lord, what it does is it brings you together in community and relationship. This is the beauty of generosity. It's that we don't want to hide ourselves away. But we come together. This act of giving knit these two churches together. And not only was the praise of God increasing, the mission of God was being advanced. And this is why Paul closes this section with praise. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This inexpressible gift that he's praising God is the gift of the gospel. It's the gift of Jesus. And those that had experienced it, were able to understand that he is enough, they have enough, and they can share with others. And now the sufficiency of Christ bonded them all together. God supplied for their needs in Jerusalem by supplying for the needs of those in Corinth. You know, sometimes we may never know the outcome of our generosity. We may, we may not know how when God's righteousness comes into our lives and it overflows into righteous acts, we may not see the results. But sometimes God gives us the grace to be able to see the results of generosity. I want to share with you the rest of the story. You see, a Wednesday night I got that gift and I was able to go on my trip. And so Thursday morning I get up and catch a plane and we go over to Europe. And that next Sunday... I was in Europe and we began our ministry. We went to a, 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 a track meet and I, I won the race. It was great. It was lots of fun. And that afternoon we were playing, I was playing basketball with some kids uh, that were staying in the dormitory where we were at. And a ball goes off the court and I go chasing after the ball and there's this little ravine thing, little gully. 
and I go to run, get the ball on the other side of it, and as I go to jump over that gully, my right leg falls down right in the bottom of that gully. It twists, and I hear like this pop and feel this burn, and I really, really messed up my ankle, really, really full of pain. My ankle becomes super swelling, and I'm in deep pain, and my friends that were all there, part of my teammates, they take me up to my dormitory, and this is what it looked like. So there's my ankle. It's like literally, like that's not ice on there. So that's my ankle. It's, it's really, really bad. And I'm laying there, and as my friends just leave for a moment, I had this moment between me and God, and I'm like, God, why did you bring me here? Like, my whole life, I've wanted to take this gift of running and use it for your glory, and now you've taken that gift away. Why am I here? Like, all of those people that gave money so that I could be here, now I'm just laying in a bed. I'm going to be on crutches for the rest of the summer. Why did you bring me here? And I got a little upset with God, and I got a little bit upset with myself, but God's bigger than all of that. The very next day, all of my team, they leave the dormitory and they're off doing their, um, doing their training and they're doing their practicing and all that. So I'm all alone and I'm laying there in that bed and I hear the guy above me starts playing this song. It's the, the song Bicycle Ride or Bicycle Race by Queen, but it was the techno version of it. So there was like techno version of, I wanna ride my bicycle, I wanna ride my bike. And this guy was playing that song over and over and over and over and over again. And in my mind, I'm like, don't ride that bicycle. I'm going to come up there and break that bicycle if you don't stop with the song. Super frustrated, super angry. I'm, I'm mad and I I'm, I'm finally get enough courage up. I'm going to go up there. And this is beyond my character normally. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to give this guy a piece of my mind. And so I get my crutches and I hobble up the stairs. They didn't even have an elevator. And I go up to the, the next uh, the next floor, and I go knock on his door, and I was gonna, I was gonna give it to him. And as soon as I open the, as soon as he opened the door, I see Tomas come out, and Tomas looks at me and he says, "Welcome!" <laughs> like what? He's like, "You have come, and we are going to talk, and all of this." And come to find out, Tomas was learning English, and he was listening to that song to help him with his English over and over and over again, as it was driving me crazy. He was learning English. And so what began as an opportunity for me to exercise my anger turned into an opportunity for me to make a friend. And so we began talking and we began sharing. He was telling about his life story and how he was away from his family and training on his own and doing all of this. And we had the, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with Tomas. And guess what? On that day, Tomas became my brother. You see, Tomas believed in Jesus. And just a simple conversation, he believed in Jesus. I want to show you the next picture. So in this picture, this is, that's me in the middle. You can see the cast on my, my legs. Some of my team members are around. This is um, after a race that everyone else had just run. It actually finished at a pub. So that guy in the, like, the gray sweater, he's got a big beer in his hand. Um, but that's not the point of the story. So the guy that's across from him, that's above this girl next to the other woman in the red, that's Tomas. Tomas, I know I will see again in heaven. And Tomas was able to hear of the name of Jesus because of the generosity of a guy that was the father of six kids. That gift that was overflowed into his life overflowed into me, which overflowed into sharing the gospel with Tomas. But I want to tell you, the story doesn't end there. Oh no, the story doesn't end there. 
I came home from that trip and, and was committed to giving my life to the Lord, and the Lord has taken me in many different directions. And, and one time, there was a season in my life where I lived in a small town in West Kentucky called Mayfield. Like, like nowhere on the map, nobody knows where Mayfield is, who Mayfield is, but God called me to Mayfield. And while I was there, I got a, the opportunity to serve as a youth pastor. And we had some wonderful neighbors that lived across the street from us. And uh, they also went to our church as well, and they had some students in the youth group, and they felt called of God to, um, to take in a foreign exchange student for the year. And so they, they get this guy, his, his name's Lucas, and I get to, a chance to get to know Lucas because he comes over to our house, and then we get a chance to get to know each other. And guess what I find out about Lucas? You know where he's from? He's from Slovakia. Slovakia is the same place I was, where I was when I broke my ankle. I was actually in his hometown in Ternava, Slovakia. And so as I got a chance to get to know him, we got a chance to share stories. I, we shared stories about the hospital where I got my ankle fixed. That was the same hospital where, where Lucas was born. And we got a chance to talk about restaurants and all these other things. And, and we had an instant connection and we had a chance to talk. And over the course of the year, he came to know Jesus. And I had the privilege of baptizing him before he left to go back to Slovakia. See, we don't understand it, but the way God operates is way bigger than any of us can ever imagine. God operates in such a way that he knows what he's doing. He's just looking for us to be available, to say, God, it's all yours. Here I am standing with arms high and heart abandoned saying, Lord, it's all yours. Take it, take it, take it. Use me however. And when we live in that way, God does amazing things. The truth today is that you can leave here and continue to be caught up with the sin of comparison where greed, shame, and guilt run rampant in your life or you can turn your attention and affection on Christ alone. If you feel yourself lacking in something today, if you feel like you don't measure up or you feel like something's missing in your life, you feeling all of those things because you've turned your affection from the Lord to other things. Maybe it's found in a person or a relationship and you're struggling, you're feeling empty and you're feeling uh, so isolated from everyone else. Well, I'm gonna tell you, you're feeling that because you've turned your affection from Christ alone to other things. God promises that you will receive his, give, his goodness and his provision. And when we do that, when we surrender to be vessels of generosity, God does amazing things. So my question to you today is, do you know Jesus? Is Jesus the source of your all-sufficiency? Maybe today, for the first time in your life, you've realized that what you've been chasing, you know what you've been chasing doesn't bring peace, and you're looking for something to bring you peace. And I want you to know that that peace comes only through knowing Jesus. So today, if that's you, call on his name. Say, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sins and come and be the Lord of my life. You can do that today. Or maybe today, the Lord has been convicting you of the sin of comparison. And you, you didn't really know that's what it was, but now there's a name to it. Now there's a name to your sin and you have been feeling greed, guilt, and shame and all, maybe a myriad of other feelings too. And today the Lord has reminded you and your response is simply just to come to him and ask him for forgiveness. Lay that at his feet 
and be reminded that what he's given you is good and it is enough. Or maybe today your response to the message is to just come to the Lord with open hands and say, Lord, I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know it's all yours. Everything that I am, everything that I have is all yours. Then listen to his voice and follow through because the grace that has been, that has come into your life isn't meant for you to hoard. The grace that has come into your life is meant for us to generously do good works. And it looks very, very different in each one of our lives. So let us be obedient to what God wants us to do and be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Father, I thank you that I am a testimony of your goodness, that you have lavished your grace in my life so much that it has overflowed in many different ways. And so I thank you for that. But I even pray for myself, Father, help me to grow in generosity. Help me to give of my time. Help me to give of all of myself for others. And I pray that would be the same prayer for our church. Father, you have gifted us with so much. Help that to overflow now as we look around and we see our hurting and dying and dark community. And there's desperation everywhere out there where we meet people every day that are overcome with greed, guilt, and shame. And Father, you have placed us in their lives to be givers of this grace. God, your grace is enough. It's enough for us and it's enough for the whole world. So help us not be stingy, but help us to trust that you got us, that you're caring for us, and help us as we move forward to live open, fully surrendered lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.